This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. How many people can say they have captivated 3,000 people at the Birmingham Symphony Hall? Speaking in front of the likes of George Osborne, David Cameron, meet BJ Malunga, a young entrepreneur who left a lasting impression at the 2014 Conservative Party conference when he was just a teenager. Did George Osborne say anything to you after that speech? Actually, after the speech, there was a photo with David Cameron, the Prime Minister, Andrew Osborne. At 12, he ran a successful tuck shop, making £15,000 by the age of 14. Scaling his business and franchising the idea, BJ's venture reached £200,000 at 16. A standing ovation from the Conservative Conservative members solidified him as the face of modern entrepreneurial Britain. BJ, welcome to the show. What was it like speaking at the Birmingham Symphony Hall? Oh, thanks so much for having me, Jimmy. In terms of what my experiences were that day and my feelings, I think there was a lot of energy, a lot of happiness. It was kind of a surreal moment because you can't fail. You're just there to tell your story and to be yourself. And I had to keep reminding myself that. I remember there were some nerves at the start. I literally just said hi and I, I paused for longer than I anticipated. I said, my name was BJ and said my age and, you know, it got people laughing and smiling. And that literally gave me the confidence to just, just smash it, deliver the rest of the talk and just be my authentic self. And I suppose that's something I tried to take in all talks I go and give up until today. How do I bring my most authentic self to work? How do I bring my most authentic self to the stage? And how do I enable individuals who are listening to me speak, listening to me share some stories, find points of interest? Did George Osborne say anything to you after that speech? Because I remember I was in the hall listening to it and I thought this is incredible. And it was almost like the Chancellor of the Exchequer might have been looking on being like, well, I wanted him to be good. But I'm not sure I wanted him to be that good. <laughs> Actually, after the speech, I... um took a, it wasn't a selfie, but it was a photo of me and two other people who spoke in that segment with David Cameron, the Prime Minister, Andrew Osborne. So they both came back stage and took a moment to thank us for speaking. So that was a really nice touch. Their current special advisors they had at the time will kind of make sure that we had great trips back and that we were safe because obviously there's going to be a lot of media <laughs> coming to get quotes and, and misquote us. So um, yeah, we, we were really looked after and the Prime Minister at the time came personally to thank both myself and others who spoke. I got a letter in a post after I handwritten one from George thanking me again. So yeah, I think they definitely appreciate it. The handwritten note is pretty special because otherwise some other special advisor like me typing it out, getting them to sign it. That's amazing to hear. And so tell us what you've been up to in the last few years, because now you have branched Super Network out to such a degree and you're doing so many things. So I'd love to hear what you're spending your time doing. Yeah. So I think. The journey is a roller coaster. As any entrepreneur knows, it's not a straight line. It's most definitely a hockey stick growth tra trajectory on some days and sometimes it's, it's a bit more of a bumpy up and down ride. I think the thing that's been consistent is we, we've been in business. We have supported just over 10,000 young people at this point. And um, we have expanded to work across 81 different locations on mobile projects, stuff from digital skills with Facebook, 
you're helping 5,000 young people become more digitally literate so they can go and get better opportunities to working with Apple and their design team around um, making their retail stores places where people can come and learn, not just shop and finding ways to kind of introduce hard to reach audiences to their retail programming. So we actually took over their store seven times and shut it down. The last couple of years has definitely been one of iteration and where I used to do retail stores, I now do experiences and my programs could be virtual, it could be in person. And that's so important. And I remember actually in a meeting in Downing Street, mega business name drop coming here. But Tim Cook from Apple in a meeting with the Prime Minister said that the future of business is all going to be about the three E's, which is where education meets entertainment meets entrepreneurship. And it's always kind of stuck with me because I've always thought that they're basically my three passions, right? And if the world's biggest and most successful company was going to be pursuing that strategy, that was quite exciting. So tell us a bit more about what you've done with those Apple stores in terms of delivering that. We have done a few different things with Tide for Apple. So we've gone in and said, right, how do we get not just an expert to come speak, but an expert who speaks to a different demographic and wouldn't normally be on the roster of people who kind of do takeovers because they have a really great team called the Today Apple team who run the programming. So we went about scouting our network and finding people who had interesting stories to tell and had different angles, but also had a bit of micro influence. People like the founders of Black Girl Festival, the founders of Guap Magazine, the lady who is behind an agency after leaving Adidas and now is doing more interesting anthropological work with brands to understand the actual cultures behind the stuff they're doing. We picked what we would call experts who were kind of rising stars who weren't really mainstream. And so what changes do you see happening in this? So you're right at the adult education space. What do you see as the big changes that are coming up in this sector? I think the big changes that are coming up in this sector, one is creating more superstar instructors. So prior, we had loads of brands that existed like Udemy, like your Skillshares, like, you know, Harvard Business have now kind of created and offered a lot of materials online and Servio and so loads of other institutions. But a lot of those places I've mentioned, whether they're fully virtual or somewhat virtual, they're quite faceless and people still need connection and interactivity. So I'm seeing and I'm noting a lot more experiences, lessons, workshops, and curriculums being designed, not just with the audience in mind, but also around the skill set of the expert and then finding interesting ways to tell that story. It's not as simple as just saying, oh, hey, we're going to just do a masterclass with a five times world champion. It's a right call. How do you turn that local person who's done a really interesting thing for 10 years and has deep knowledge and find different ways to kind of teach their skill set in either two minute segments, 10 minute segments, or hours and hours and hours long of segments. So I see the way that people market their courses and how people access courses and materials changing actively as it already has been. There's a lot more creators that they'll call us what they call it, a creator economy. There's a lot more creators now who literally are making more money than they've ever made before from productizing their knowledge. Just to touch on that as well, I think it's so interesting because you know, sometimes I think older generations see the term influencer and there is a stereotypical image of an influencer that they have in their head about things. And actually what you're talking about are like education influencers, right? And this content creators, I'm going to give a shout out to Mr. Bruff, who I know is an avid listener of this podcast. You know, he was an English A-level teacher and stopped doing that quite a few years ago now, went all online on YouTube, makes these amazing videos that kids learn. And we all have a teacher at school that we remember the name of that impacted us in a big way. 
And it is amazing to think that so many people could get access to this. It's a bit like Joe Wicks, right? He became the nation's PE teacher, effectively. But yeah, sorry, carry on. You were saying the other things that were happening in the ed tech space. Edutainment, ed tech space. Um, so I'd say the reconstruction of the instructor, the headmaster, the teacher on a virtual stroke in-person space is, is forever changing. I think the other thing I'm really enjoying in the space that we're also accessing is the creation of micro communities. So for example, at the moment, I'm running a, a bootcamp and online accelerator for young writers to break the industry as journalists, as authors, and it's free at the point of access for the user, but we've pulled in over 30 different coaches who have got between them over half a billion worth of views on their writing. There's commissioners, there's publishers, there's self-published authors who've made six figures. There's individuals who have literally built their own writing communities that are serving the world. And the recurring theme that keeps coming back from all of the instructors as they're speaking to the community is that these individuals going through the process with us should be looking at around the room and working with each other, especially because it's a tight-knit group. You know, 30 is a room where you can, you can still work around a group of 30 rather than 3,000. I'm really fascinated by the world of micro-communities and going deep when trying to have impact or create substantial amount of change in people's lives. I think it's so exciting, this space, right? It's partly what this podcast is trying to do, right? Is explain careers of the future. And you know, you've talked about so many of that. One that I'm really interested in is learning designer that you mentioned there, because we can often think about teachers and we just think of them in schools and universities, etc. But as you've said, this is expanding massively already. When it comes to a learning designer, just talk us through the skills that that person requires and what the job entails. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the first skills that are probably super important in learning design is even if they're not going to university for this part, but having anthropology on top of your mind. So understanding different groups of people, why they think the way they think, how they think and where they are as a thesis before designing is quite important. So a lot of learning designers that we work with at Super, we've been working with learning designers for the last couple of years to design stuff. They always like to start with a persona. Who are we targeting? And then they kind of act as the educational version of what a UI UX person is to a product dev team and also a hybrid of like a product manager. So in the space of designing curriculums internally and also externally, a learning designer would literally map out that journey a learner is going to go through. Learner being another term, student, participant, applicant, <laughs> core member, but they literally will map out, right, day one to day 90 or day one to day 100, however long the process is after they've done the persona bit. And then step three is start to do a lot of QA. So quality assurances. What do we need to test? What do we need to validate? What assumptions do we have? And how do we have checkpoints throughout the testing phase? So doing a smaller run through to make sure that we validate what our thesis is before scaling. And then at a scaling point, they will then start to pull in wider and bigger teams to then manage the thesis they've built. I'm fascinated by the world of design. I've done some myself. I think it's, it's something that all of us who are in the space of events, programming, community building, and of course, L&D and HR roles, we all need to be brushing up and actively working on because if you can make a learning experience a powerful moment. And if you can identify some key moments throughout a journey that a learner is going to go through where you can really give them surprise and delight moments, those are the things that make 
your product, your experience, your curriculum stand out from the rest. Those are the things that create super fans, create communities of alumni who really care without having to be paid, but they actually really care because they, they have personally witnessed the greatness. So yeah, good learning design journey and a, and a good focus on learning design can be something that can affect the bottom line of your business and also your product. Yeah, I think it's a really exciting space. It's so intriguing. And talk to us about the culture of Super Network, right? Because it's a great place to work. You know, I've visited you in Old Street and kind of seen the passion that you have for it. Talk to us about the culture that you're trying to create there. Yeah. So with Super Network, we've gone through so many different iterations and changes as we've gone back to the market and figured out what do they want. I think the, the key thing that keeps coming back in everything we do is people wanting to scout the best talent and also the best talent wanting to find ways to add an edge to themselves once they figure out who they want to be. So the culture we have is one of access. How do we give more access to more people who require it and are ready to apply themselves? Once you give an access, the next place you want to do is build community. So community as a value, a real community and real support is something that I think has changed my life and I, I'm a big fan of. So we, we try to push that within our cohort. So there's people who met each other in 2017 who are now best friends and we don't have anything to do with it. But for us, Super is well known to support entrepreneurs. It's been over 10 years from the tuck shop to the retail pop-up market, pop-up shops, and even the incubator Super Campus we ran three years ago. It's something that's etching in the ethos of how I built the brand. I always like to support entrepreneurs with access to industry and access to opportunity. The Business Building Club is something that we started a year ago. It started off as a series of talks. Then it went into a newsletter, then it went into coaching. And I was finding that there was a lot of businesses that just needed a bit of a leg up and needed access to stuff. There's so much information on the internet, but knowing what to utilize and when to utilize is something that's still very hard. So I decided to make the club as part of Super so that we have a safe space for people to go and ask those questions on a Slack channel where they can kind of help each other. For some people are at different paces. More importantly, when I do speak to VCs or angels and they're wanting to meet people, I now have a place to refer them to. So just doing these kind of hangs once a month, once by every two weeks where investors in my network or corporates in my network get a chance to meet startups and people who are actually building digital businesses. It was something that was very close to my heart. We chose e-com as a primary field because it's growing. Like even if there's dips, generally, if you look at it over five years, 10 years, three years, two years, there's growth. And Amazon posted a hundred billion in rev last quarter of 2020. Like that's just an example of showing you that this thing and the advancements that we've made since the pandemic has started purely to the fact that there's so many people who never had online banking that have online banking. People get I'm so much more used to kind of receiving their posts and parcels and have made different ways to kind of manage that. I'm of a personal preference and understanding that I don't think we're going to go back to what it was. We're going to just evolve and be more hybrid. So it's much harder to support entrepreneurs if you just go with everyone. So we're tackling e-commerce first and putting access to investment, access to network, access to information. But then we are still doing content that any entrepreneur kind of access and live with. But it was very important for us as we go through the pandemic to go, actually, let's focus on a type of entrepreneur. Because the way you will support an e-com entrepreneur versus someone where managing a warehouse versus someone who is still building a product that they're trying to sell B2B, they're very different support packages. Totally. But it's not just Amazon, right? Like in the UK, we've built some amazing e-commerce businesses, right? You know, Gymshark, THG, AO World has had like a stunning pandemic. ASOS as well. Like, you know, there are some amazing 
firms out there. It's so exciting to see. And hopefully it gives inspiration because all those businesses have been founded or in the last 15 years. I mean, some of them, THGs, are well beyond unicorn status. It's so exciting to see. And companies have been built as well all around the UK. You know, Gymshark, Birmingham, THG, Manchester, AO, Bolton. I think it's really encouraging to see. And sometimes, you know, you and I live in in London, BJ, we don't recognize and appreciate as much as we did. And what I wanted to talk about now was when it comes to building back better and the government talking about it a substantial amount and leveling up, how can the government do that? You know, you're somebody who is always championing, learning and working with a vast, diverse array of entrepreneurs. What can the UK government do? to build back better? There's a few things that you can do to build back better. Obviously, this is just my perspective with my own lived experiences. But I think for me is telling stories. This, you were writing and, you know, noting down THG, Dota now, Gymshark. There's so many great success stories. When we tell stories, you give motivation, you give aspiration, and you also give access because you don't know who you don't know. And my dad, for example, who's been very redundant since the pandemic started, He's learning about so many companies that he never knew about in the last 12 months. And I'm sure there are loads of people in that position. So we need to utilize our media and utilize our access to assets because, you know, we are really big in, in media production here in this country to tell stories, to highlight the amazing opportunities that do exist in those fast growing businesses and those fast growing regions in the country. And I think next step after that is a continued push around transparency and safety. So. The internet has brought loads of positives, but it has also brought a lot of negatives. You know, just today I got a full text from a bank that wasn't really from a bank, it was just an 07 number. So we need to keep investing on the fight for cyber just so people have more confidence and also just to make sure that when the information is passed along, it's the right information to the right people. That's something I think is very important for the country to look at. Cybersecurity, we know AI is on route, it's here now, but how do we make sure that people have access to the right data and also that they're protected? Because that gives people confidence. And then the third, I would say support local businesses. If you're looking to purchase X product, where can you get it? Make sure you're looking at those small boys. That's something that you can't enforce, but it can only be encouraged again from storytelling and from just better access to what's out there. I think people are definitely getting more astute. We have to give the flowers where we're due. And it's definitely something where I've seen a lot of campaigns from Black Pound Day to the Small Biz Day that happens in December. There's, there's a lot of different initiatives throughout the year that do support small businesses. And there's been a lot of funds and funding. So how do we continue those things and continue making access to it more easier would be something that I think about when we build back better. But again, as I say, all of these things are just based on my lived experience and I welcome to hear what other people think, but it's an exciting time, you know, in these, in these times, as much as there's fear and, and there's stuff to be scared about, there's also opportunity and there's things to be excited about because there are people who are doing some really awesome things right now across the country. I think that's true. And I think the last one there that you talk about, I mean, it's a challenge that you lay for government, but it's also for the individual, right? Like, and, you know, we've all used Amazon in the pandemic. It's very convenient and so on. But actually, you know, you've got the time trying to find places local and UK based, you know, makes a huge difference, right? Because a lot of people found the last year very hard when it comes to running businesses and, and we need to do everything that we can. One of the things that you talked about there that I was wanting to kind of pick up on a bit more, because I remember you came to a dinner at 
Downing Street, which these business dinners have the great and the good at them from the kind of FTSE 100. And my role to try and bring along different people with different perspectives, which you did so brilliantly in this one dinner, because we were talking about the media culture, not quite being as pro-business as it is in the States, for example. And there was lots of sort of head nodding and, and agreement with this. And you made the point of, well, people under the age of 30 don't really consume traditional media in any form. So two parts of the question, and I would love to hear your thoughts and if you remember making that point. And secondly, you know, what is the media that you consume on which sources are you getting it from? The biggest media I consume at the moment is on is YouTube. I have uh, different things I follow, different platforms, both creators from the US, creators from the UK. I also speak French. I watch a lot of stuff from France and Congo, my native homeland. I think... <laughs> What Google have done with their YouTube search engine, you can see billions worth of videos. You'll never finish it, basically. And all new channels basically broadcast there as well. So I have my pick of things I watch through there rather than sitting at a program time on my TV screen. So that's me personally. And then I also utilize the functions on both Twitter and Instagram to make lists. So on Twitter, you can make a list of interesting profiles. I see what interesting four leaders are saying, because not everyone you follow is where you should get your news from. And then on Instagram, exactly, exactly. But you need to, you need to go through it. You need to go through who you're following and really make sure that you you make your own little feeds because you can do that on Instagram. You can make a list and just open your list and you can see your own algorithm based on who you've put in that list. It's not just based on everyone you follow. And they're based on the other side of what I mentioned when we were in that dinner about, you know, under 30s not consuming TV like other generations. I mean, it's been well documented. It's not something I've made up. The TV consumption has gone down amongst my age group. So, I mean, single programs, some have done really well. You know, Game of Thrones, your power, what these different TV shows, but general sit down watch time has changed forever. With the Build Back Better Britain, campaign that you're speaking about and, and that ethos around the country, I think there's a wider point. Yes, even though the younger people that watch TV like other generations have done, what I recommend and what I, I, I see right now a year or two on is the fact that you can't really group anyone anymore. And like we've, we're all more homogenous. We're all going through this worldwide thing together. Everyone at their own different pace and someone who's 18 may be feeling way more connected to someone who's in their 30s and more aligned with where they're at in life with not knowing what to do next versus maybe someone in their mid-20s and someone in their mid-40s also being in the same place with early children. So the lines are blurred way more. I think all media has a place because ultimately when you're advertising or you're telling a story, something that people always forget is that the buying power is not always with just the individual targeting. Individual targeting has brothers, has sisters, has siblings, they have parents, they have nieces, nephews, there are individuals in their lives that impact them. So if you're telling a story and looking at media assets, whether it's online, offline or um, outdoor, it, it all has a place because there are knock-on effects to the story you tell. I do too. I was just thinking about I had to buy some new clothes the other day because I basically haven't bought any because we've been in lockdown for a year and I became a dad, et cetera, right? And so I got sort of quite excited about trying out different e-commerce platforms. And I used a firm called Spokes to buy some new trousers and it's been brilliant. Like I finally got trousers, casual trousers that fit. So it's been a complete revelation. And it's just like, I have told so many people about that. Like, even if they don't want to know, they have heard where my trousers are from because I just think it's been brilliant. It's a very good point. You know, it's not just an individual you're targeting. Every individual has their own influencer network. So two questions to finish with, BJ. And the first one, 
you're going to be expecting because it's about a book, which I've asked everyone. But also, I was going to introduce a new feature called kind of like pass the mic, which is you kind of naming another entrepreneur that might not have got as much coverage yet or so on that you think that we should go and speak to in a future episode. So yeah, I'll give you a couple of seconds to think about that that one because I have sprung that on you slightly. That's cool. Got that one already. So favorite book recently that you've read that's had an impact on you? Yes. So the favorite book I've read recently is The Art of Business Writing by a guy called Nicholas Cole. He's a writer from the States. He's 30 years old, multi-millionaire from writing. And he started with blowing up on Fura and Medium. He's a big, big, big fan of spreading the knowledge around how people can tell stories online, get paid for it, but also make sure that they utilize the power of their words for good. We had him do a session on the Phoenix program, the writing bootcamp I'm running at the moment. I tried to read up on all of the different coaches' work and that's been resonating with me a lot. He spoke this week, so it's what I've been reading the last 10 days. So I really like that book. So it's, it's The Art of Business and Writing Well by Nicholas Cole. I've been enjoying that book. And then in terms of an entrepreneur, more entrepreneurial type person to put forward, I think for me, there's a few, so it's hard to, it's hard to whittle down. There's a really awesome lady who's a business coach called Mika, Mika V. She has coached, you know, a couple of entrepreneurs that you and I know, Jimmy, from Clubhouse Startup Radio. She's coached Dan from Heights. She's also my coach, BJ. Yeah. Yeah. She's a coach of mine as well. I think, I think an episode with her would be great as she's lived a few different lives. She has literally been at the fourth, the front line of academics and studied at Cambridge and then has moved and worked at a couple of fast growing businesses and done well, moved on to be an angel investor got burnt out and now spends time working with high performing entrepreneurs. I think the perspective that she has would be very interesting to share. And I think your audience would really, really love how she approaches life. Yeah, definitely. I think that could be, that could be very interesting. <laughs> You'll see that coming. <laughs> not gonna lie. Oh, BJ, it's been brilliant to have you on. Look, we're exploring some kind of live shows later in the year, potentially. So Absolutely. it would be great to get you involved in that and do this face to face because it will be so much more exciting when we can do that. Amazing. Well done on uh, season two as well, Jimmy. It's, uh, not many people stick with their podcast for this long. And I know it was just an idea when, you know, when I could see it before the pandemic and you really stuck at it. It's been such a pleasure to watch it grow. Thanks to you and, and everyone in essence for their advice and feedback on it, because it does make a massive difference, but we're growing and we're getting lots of people placed and jobs that come on and stuff. So, yeah, that's kind of why, that's why I started it. So I leave your audience with a special thing. So as mentioned, we run memberships for Super Network and for Business Building Club. So if anyone's listening, who's got a family member, friend or themselves, they're an e-commerce entrepreneur. They can literally apply for Business Building Club and just reference Jimmy Jobs and it'll get fast tracked with Super Network. If you've got a young creative or someone who's looking to shift careers, you can also apply and join the opportunity board we have, which is private at the moment and reference Jimmy Jobs as well and get fast tracked as well. So I'll leave that as a little special thing for your audience, Jimmy. Awesome, man. What a way to finish. That's brilliant. Great. I can't wait to do this in person soon, BJ. That's a great offer at the end there. So thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Jimmy's Jobs of the Future. We've come a long way since our first episode when I started recording this on my own in my daughter's nap times. We are now a team that not only pulls together a podcast, but also creates content on multiple channels, whether that is our Substack, looking at the latest trends in business, entrepreneurship and the future of work or some of our more light-hearted takes on tiktok and of course our best moments are on youtube to find all our socials and best content links click on the links in the show notes below 